This is Packer and Durham on ACCN and Sirius XM Channel 371. Uh, this morning, we're celebrating another national championship in the Atlantic Coast Conference this morning as well. Jenny Levy and North Carolina's women's lacrosse team uh, yesterday in an all-ACC national finals uh, beat Boston College at Homewood Field up in Baltimore at Johns Hopkins yesterday to become the seventh ACC team to win a national championship this year. It's the most since the 2009-2010 academic year. And Drew, it's quite a statement because it's come across the board realistically for the Atlantic Coast Conference this year. It's come from the start of the year and now here into the spring season. Yeah, well, as you go all the way back to the fall, I mean, Thanos is jealous of this conference with all the Infinity Stones. They've got seven national championships. Go back to NC State Women's Cross Country. That was the first team to do it. Uh, First women's team to win a cross-country title for the ACC since Virginia in 1982. This is a huge boon for the conference and a return to glory in this sport. And this is a multiple-mile race they're running, and they are sprinting off the line. I ran cross-country in high school, so I know a little bit about this, but I was never that fast. They throw up the pack pride at the end, and for good reason. That is a very impressive achievement. Yep, no doubt about that. And, uh, of course, Hannah Steelman, one of our favorites on this show, uh, qualified last week for the uh, national championships in uh, track and field and distance. So congratulations to NC State and others in the ACC who did that. Um, In soccer, it was a double for the ACC. Florida State brought home their third national title, in the last eight years on the women's side, only North Carolina has one more. And Mark Krikorian's team did it on PKs uh, in the finals. And here's the game winner. That'll be a ring. Thank you very much. And Florida State's yeah, FSU national championship. Dominant. Yep. Uh, we had Christina Roque on the Olympic Hour on NCC Network after their uh, their soccer championship. And she was a blast to talk with, the FSU goalie, and PKs for a national championship. It doesn't get much more intense than that. So she had ice mm-hmm. in the veins, and FSU wins another natty. You said it was a double, though, Wes. The Clemson men also win the national championship. Uh, they're first since 1987, um, and they're third overall. They won in 84-87, and now 2021. Was Pack a freshman at Clemson in 1987? I wrote that last night for all ACC, and I think it might actually be accurate. No, no, he was a graduate by then. He was out by 87. Yeah. He was in the working world. But, uh, no, yeah. that's a great win for uh, Mike Noonan's team, and uh, what a program, right? They've done a phenomenal job there. Um, Virginia, if it invo- as Packer likes to say, if it involves water – Virginia's likely very good, and the Cavaliers took <laughs> home their second straight women's swimming and diving national title. Uh, Kate Douglas, who's made in Olympics, was a star there. She set three separate records for the team um, that also has Olympic medalists on it, as we noted. Uh, I mean, it's, it's remarkable how dominant Virginia has been, second consecutive NCAA title in swimming and diving for the Cavaliers. Yeah, this is basically an Olympic team in Charlottesville. Emma Wyatt, a silver mm-hmm. medalist at the Olympics. She's also on the roster for the Hoos. I mean, 
that is a phenomenal program. And I don't think it's going to end at two straight, Wes. I think the dynasty is probably going to continue no. for UVA. If, if they keep bringing Olympians into the program, they'll win some more. Yep. Uh, Notre Dame was the fencing national champions. They won their fourth NCAA title since 2017. Five Fighting Irish earned Fencer of the Year's honors. Fencer of the Year honors. Um, you know, however they f- they figure this out in Epi and all these <laughs> other disciplines of fencing, uh, I would just tell you that Notre Dame is really, really good. And congratulations to Coach Gia and the Irish on another <laughs> one. Yeah, Epe on guard. Yeah, I don't know how the scoring and fencing works, Wes, but uh, there was a Wii fencing game that I used to play. I think it was in, <laughs> wasn't in Wii Sports, but it might have been in like the sequel, Deca Sports. And now that's topical because they had a Wii baseball exhibit in Charlotte, I think, at the ACC uh, baseball tournament. Yeah. yeah, very topical. And I think Kelsey Riggs homered <laughs> in the Wii baseball as I saw uh, with Danny Graves the other night. Um, All right, Virginia's men's tennis took home their fifth title nationally. All of them have come since 2013. They started the season 5-5 and and then won 23 straight, Drew, to get to the national championship? Dude, it's hard to wrap your mind around. 23 straight after a 500 start in their opening 10 matches. And then they became Virginia. So not just in the water, but I guess if it involves water or a tennis court, Virginia's probably really good. Uh, head coach Andres Pedroso, he's got them rolling. Five championships since 2013. No math major here, but that's uh, more than half the year since 2013. Virginia yeah. has been the national champ. And then, of course, yesterday, uh, Jenny Levy in North Carolina won the national championship in women's lacrosse against Boston College. Uh, this is a program that finishes the regular season 22-0, 16-0 against ranked teams, 9-0 against the top 10, 5-0 against the top 5, a senior class that went 83-9 and in the last five years, four Final Fours, four straight ACC titles, and now their third national championship yesterday in Baltimore. That's just a, a remarkable, remarkable run for any program at any level in really any sport. And that was the final feather in the cap for that senior class, which, like you said, Wes, was purely dominant. They just rolled everyone with the exception of Boston College the last three years. BC knocked them off in the semis in 19 and 21. So Carolina gets their revenge. Storybook season for UNC. And I think there's so much credit that goes to Jenny Levy because you look at current state of college sports transfer portal, If you can bring in transfers and in year one for them in the program, blend them in seamlessly, kind of like what Steve Forbes did at Wake Forest this year in hoops, I think that's probably the most impressive thing you can do in college coaching right now. And that's what she did. You look at the transfers from Andy Aldave and a bunch of names on that Carolina attack, especially. They come back in a big way in the semis against Northwestern. and They win it all. That is an earned national championship. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a team better than Carolina this year. Well, and they are in part part of the reason that women's lacrosse is a great sport for the Atlantic Coast Conference. Boston College, Syracuse, obviously brand names as well and have had phenomenal seasons. But uh, the sport itself is grabbing 
kind of the clutches of, of the nation's interest as well. And it's been fun to see it uh, headlined by two great programs, but clearly Jenny's team has done a remarkable, remarkable job of, uh, of dominance here in the last couple of years. You think about the stretch here. I mean, the fact that they are 57-2 and two since 2019, that's just hard to get your arms around. Yeah, the only two losses to BC in the same round in the semifinals. No one could beat them mm-hmm. aside from Boston College, and that that was their bugaboo, and they got over it yesterday in an all-time national championship. People talk a lot about Formula One, you know, taking hold of the American fan base and being the sport of the present and the future. I'll say this. I was mm-hmm. dying for that F1 race to end so the lacrosse game could come on ESPN. Yep. I, I'll take lacrosse over Formula One any day. And uh, by the way, I don't know anything about F1, less than I know about fencing, but I'm pretty sure there was a clock on the screen for F1 yesterday, and they weren't doing it by laps. They, do, you, do you know, Wes? Like, did you understand what was happening? No. 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 Okay. Yeah. No. No. We'll get Casey I haven't O'Brien seen Drive to Survive. To break. I, I haven't. Yeah, me neither. I haven't seen the, uh, I haven't seen Drive to Survive, haven't watched a race, Uh I hear of the interest. I understand Miami was a terrific event. I know our parent company has a tremendous amount of uh, interest in the success of it, and I'm all for that. Uh, What's good for the company is good for the employee, as they say. Uh, When we come back, uh, we're going to dive into more of Jim Boeheim's comments about name, image, and likeness when we continue. Scott Forbes is the head baseball coach at North Carolina. He's coming up at the bottom of the hour. We're going to talk to him about his baseball championship performance over the weekend of his team and now they get ready for the NCAA selections at noon and a host situation for the Tar Heels. All that and more on ACC. The Packer and Durham Podcast. This is the Packer and Durham Podcast. Packer and Durham. Drew Carter's here, folks. First two days of the week. Mark is back a week from today, and let's just say we're going to carve out a handful of minutes for him to give us all of his stories in one fell swoop. You think that'll be okay, Drew? I mean, you've done a couple of these, right? Uh, I don't. I don't think a couple minutes will do. Maybe a couple days, Wes. Maybe three full hours on Monday, and then another three on Tuesday. Judging by the volume of tweets we're seeing from Italy. He's got stories. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think he definitely has stories. Uh, and boy, we've seen some pictures now. Holy cow. I mean, he even tweeted out a picture of him sitting on a park bench outside a Golden Goose store um, <laughs> the other day. And uh, <laughs> so, um, you know, no telling how much money got spent in that store. If the first if first experience was any indicator for the story you told on the way out the door, so we'll we'll get all that next Monday from Packer. We got plenty to go this week, though. We got great coaches. Scott Forbes coming up here in about oh ten minutes or so. I want to go back to something we touched on before our visit with Gabby Sanchez. That is the um, the comments of Jim Beheim at the NBA Draft Combine last week regarding NIL, Drew. And we talked about where Syracuse kind of might fit in this and decisions that universities and institutions will have to make regarding name, image, and likeness. Here's a question, though. In some ways, could NIL, 
like we've talked about the headline guys either in the portal or staying in school, right? And yeah, there's still some guys that go to the NBA draft. But is name, image, and likeness going to be the differentiator to challenge potentially the NBA's G League model? Because quite frankly, the highline kids in NIL in, in college basketball are probably going to make more money than the G League guys make, or at least competitively a dollar or two different, right? Oh, absolutely. And this article in Forbes by Adam Zagoria, he points out a great point. No exact figures on Armando Baycott's NIL figures are out there, but most people think he's probably making six figures. Makes sense. You're playing for a school like Carolina. You're a star. You had a billion double-doubles last year. Your team made the national championship game. The G League maximum, not minimum, maximum salary is 37000 If you're a big-name college basketball player, a.k.a. one who's good enough to play in the G League anyway, you're going to be making six figures. Think about a lot of these college towns, Chapel Hill being a great example. These guys are the biggest celebrities in their town. I think it'd be different in a place like Boston for a a BC guy or Dallas for an SMU player or, or whatever big city you want with professional sports. But in college towns... The biggest celebrities a lot of the time are college athletes. And Armando Baycott certainly mm-hmm. fits the bill. And I think it's, it's a great point, Wes. You know, I remember a couple of years ago when G League Ignite became a thing. And the story was the sky right. is falling for college basketball. Why would anyone play college hoops if they can go make money and get a better preparation for the NBA and G League Ignite? No, sir. We're talking free market. And another really good, I think, ramification of NIL is maybe it forces the G League to up that salary. Or it keeps guys in college where the product is better anyway, and I think they probably are better prepared for the NBA than the G League would make them. And look, they're going to be players that are going to opt, but I think here's the differential in this. And it's this is a cloudy line, okay? This is not clearly defined at all. So you go in the first round of the NBA draft, you got guaranteed money. We all understand that. The difference between the first and the second round could be astronomical in the decision-making process. That second-round situation ultimately becomes about kind of how the status of your deal works. You know, I mean, you know, Drew, you know all the – everybody knows the linguistics of the NBA, the two-way deal, the 10-day contract, the this, that, and the other part of this, right? Everything gets a little blurrier after the first round of the NBA draft. So if you're going to be a first-round pick, you should go to the NBA, okay? But you've got to be guaranteed you're going to be a first-round pick. There have been lives lost, so to speak, in basketball by not being a first-round pick when everybody told you you were or you might and you thought the might was a were and you went, right? If NIL's got any positives to it, it's that a player can at least receive some compensation for name, image, and likeness to parallel their skill set and their ability to represent a brand, in this case, their school. There is no representing your brand in the G League except to those two, three, four dozen scouts that scour the G League looking for the next guy to be the back-end roster guy in an NBA uniform. To me, when Jim Beheim says the NLI, guys at Carolina, guys at Miami are coming back because they're making more money, That goes back to the school's conscientious decision, right? But for the player, the portal can be used. You just mentioned the St. Bonnie's kids. 
All those guys are bailing off a team. Lofton, Osuni, all those kids who could potentially have gone and collectively been a top 15 team next year. Right out of the gate in the A-10. Probably would have been a really heavy, would have been like a Wichita State a few years ago or somebody like that, right? Who knows? Maybe the new Gonzaga. You don't know. But the idea that there is now a place or a platform for college basketball to retain 50-50 guys from going to the draft where we may never hear from them again in the continental United States as a basketball player to staying and playing at least one more year of college basketball, I think that's a good thing, quite frankly. Yeah, I totally agree. Now, where it becomes maybe a bad thing, but again, this all depends on your perspective. For me personally, as a fan, I love a team like St. Bonaventure making it, who knows, to the Final Four. Jim Beheim in this article says they would have been a top 15 team if those four guys who ended up transferring to Power 5 schools would have come back. Great comp for St. Bonaventure, same conference, would be Dayton from a few years ago when they had Obi Toppin right. in 2020. And if COVID hadn't canceled the tournament, they probably would have been a one seed and who knows how far they would have made it. That's part of the charm of college basketball, I think, is when a smaller school like that is positioned to make a big run or does make a big run. You mentioned Wichita State. Back then, they were super fun making the Final Four as a nine seed. They were a one seed the next year. I think it's a negative, in my fan opinion, if those schools don't have a chance anymore. And it seems like that's kind of what's happening. And that was really the focus of our first conversation, Wes, is where does a Syracuse fit in? Yes, they're in the ACC. Yes, they've got great history. Yes, they have a legend at coach. But frankly, that brand is not as sexy as Carolina or Duke or I'd say even Louisville or a bunch of Miami, a bunch of schools in the ACC where not only are there outside factors like weather that are going to contribute to guys wanting to go there anyway, but now you've got NIL and it seems like those schools are going to allow for more money-making opportunities than a Syracuse will. Uh, so right. it's not just the smaller schools that are going to be struggling here. And Jim Beheim said, quote, it kills the smaller schools. You develop a really good player and now he leaves. But it might even mm-hmm. be some power five schools who just can't keep up with those huge, big brand names. It's going to be, I think, really transformative how ultimately the transfer portal is governed here. Because the portal, look, name, image, and likeness is a subset of the portal, even though we keep talking about it being two different elements, right? The portal is one thing, name, image, and likeness is the other. And oftentimes they get meshed, but that's not the right thing. You got to keep them separate. If you if you start to take one for the other and put one above the other or whatever the case may be, it just leads to more chaos. But in this case, in college basketball's case, the portal is an incredibly active area. Uh, and we've known the stats of the kids that get in the portal that don't land at a school, Right. But for me, college basketball's lifeline could be name, image, and likeness for some places. Because the, if, if, you're the, if Drew Carter, you know, out of the Twin Cities, is a 6'7 swing who is on the line, you know, your first team, all ACC, and you average 13 and 8, and everybody thinks, well, you know, you got real draft possibilities, 
And the number you keep hearing is ah, anywhere from 30 to 35. Well, 30 to 35 is where careers die. Okay? I mean, back end of the first round's one thing. Top end of the second round is no guarantee. But name, image, and likeness could have swayed Drew Carter. Right? I mean, you wouldn't be in the G League next year playing for Santa Cruz or in Fort Wayne playing for the Mad Ants or whatever the case may be. You would be back in school getting 75 to 100 grand in NIL money if, if in fact, your school was participating in it. The thing about the current kid, and, and we'll close on this thought, the current kid at an institution knows where his team or his school fits in the world of name, image, and likeness. Agree or not? Totally. Okay, because kids talk to other kids in other sports. So you know if you play basketball at big techs, you know where the basketball NIL kind of ceiling is at big techs. Or if you play at small school U, you know where the basketball NIL sits. The only reason you were going to stay is if your NIL money could go up. And everybody says, well, why has it got to be about the money? Because it's always about the money at the end on something like this. If you know you can go to Big Tax, who's got a bigger NIL budget for basketball, and it pays you more than it's going to pay you to be the 41st-round pick of the Indianapolis Pacers and spend the entire next two years in Fort Wayne, what are you going to do? You're going to go in the portal to another school, right? That's pretty simple, don't you think? Yeah. No doubt. I mean, you said that NIL and Transfer Portal are two separate things, but they're inextricably linked. And I think that's why a lot of people are lamenting where we are in college sports right now, because those two things happening at the same time with zero regulation. And I laughed when you said uh, regulation of the Transfer Portal, which is essentially an oxymoron at this point. It is complete chaos in there. No regulation from the NCAA, which surprises nobody. But the fact that those two things came on at the same time leads to some negative ramifications because basically now it's legal to pay players. And if you want to back channel your way into tampering for a recruit who's already on someone else's roster, you can. That's what happened with Jordan Addison. We know this all too well in the ACC, or so we think. Allegedly, that's what happened with Jordan Addison. Um, But yeah, it's going to happen in basketball. Again, you go back to Syracuse. Use me as an example. This is fun. If I'm a Power 5 basketball player... If I'm a six-seven swingman from the Twin Cities and I'm going into my senior year at Syracuse, do I want to play in the G League for 37K or do I want to play for Syracuse in front of 35,000 fans cashing six-figure checks from Possibilities and LaMakia Honda while I drive around <laughs> in my 2023 Accord that I got for free? 100% I'm staying yeah. in college where I'm big man on campus. I've always thought that kids should stay right. in school longer because what's a better life than being big man on campus? Who's got it better than Armando Baycott in Chapel Hill, NIL or not? You throw that in, guys are going to be staying in school. The problem is now the rich get richer. And a school like Syracuse, again, even though it's in the ACC, might struggle to keep up with a North Carolina. Yeah. All right, sit tight. When we come back, uh, we will hear from the head baseball coach of the ACC champions. That is Scott Forbes at Carolina. His team beat NC State yesterday to capture the crown. Coach Forbes joins us from Chapel Hill 
knowing he's hosting and now waiting to see who's coming to the box this weekend. We'll talk to Coach next. Packer and Durham. Here's Mark Packer and Wes Durham. Packer and Durham on a uh, Monday morning. Drew Carter's in for Mark. And uh, Bradley Delph and Boston bring us back here. And that means Scott Forbes is with us. The uh, head baseball coach of the Atlantic Coast Conference champion, North Carolina Tar Heels, joins us this morning. That has a nice ring to it for you this morning, doesn't it? Yeah, no doubt about it. Exciting day for our guys yesterday. Exciting day, really, for just the University of North Carolina and their athletic department. Our lacrosse team winning the national championship and our guys getting it done um, for an ACC championship against NC State. Just an awesome day. Great day to be a Tar Heel. All right, so here's the question. Being the head coach, how different did it feel going through this process? Because I know you've been an assistant on a championship team. What was it like being the head guy, thinking, okay, here we go through pool play, playing pretty well. This is on my watch now. Yeah, no doubt. Um, It's definitely different for sure. I would say the biggest difference um, was, you know, sitting in a hotel room at Virginia when we were 8 and 13, and then reflecting back on that, how in the world are we here where we are? And that's credit to our players and our assistant coaches. So, once we started playing well and turning around and swept Florida State, I felt good about going into the tournament. And really, at that point, as a head coach, you just, when your guys are playing that well, you just try not to screw it up. Well, coach, let's talk about that turnaround because, I mean, y'all might have been a bubble team at certain points of this year. And now here we are, you've won 15 of your last 17, your ACC champs, and you're hosting a regional. What changed <laughs> for your team? You know, we've always – we've loved this group from the get-go. Um, they've done everything right. They work. Uh, great great job in the classroom. We have great leadership within our locker room. So as a head coach, I just felt like, okay, these guys, they can turn this around. We need something positive to happen. And then we had that exam break. Um, we, we beat Liberty. We beat Charlotte. And then we found a way to beat NC State two out of three at NC State. We didn't play great, but we won two one-run games, and that kind of flipped the switch. And And our guys had a great weekend with, with Alberto Osuna walking off with a home run on Thursday night against Florida State, and they've, they've continued to, uh, to play well. But, again, it starts with pitching and defense, and through this stretch, we've really pitched well and we really defended well. Scott, the uh, the irony you mentioned Charlottesville. Uh, Roddy Jones and I got a chance to visit with you a little bit before that series started, and that series yeah. alone was gut-wrenching. It was a gut-wrenching weekend for your team, almost as if somebody or collectively some bodies had to decide we're not going to let it in like this. Do you sense that coming off that weekend, that's where this turned for you and your team? I, I know you mentioned your staff, and you got a great staff, but somebody in that clubhouse had to decide, didn't they, or some bodies? Yeah, 100%. And, um, you know, you have to practice what you preach, too, as the head coach about being in the moment. And you talk to your players all the time about what adversity does and what it can do for you if you let it. It's either going to break you or it can make you a lot tougher. And you have to give credit to those guys, you know, starting with an Angel Zarate, a Danny Soretti, you know, on the mound with our older guys like Nick Pride and, 
and Davis Palermo and Will Sandy, all of our guys, you know, they made that decision. And, you know, we did talk about, we had some gut-wrenching losses, you know, two 14-inning road Mm -hmm. losses at Louisville. Um, that one, we were in a three-hour delay with a bomb threat, which we none of us had, had ever gone through. And then that might <laughs> – and then, like you said, at Virginia, you know, we're fighting like crazy. We take a three-run lead in the tenth, and then we lose that lead. And you just had to say, okay, we, this has got – you know, this is going to help us if we let it, if we can get some momentum, because then we will have been in those situations, and we know how to handle them. And dang, if these guys hadn't done that. Coach, you mentioned a couple names there. We got to ask you about Vance Honeycutt. We showed a graphic on all ACC last night with his numbers before May 1st and since May 1st. What got into that guy at the end of his freshman season? He has been tearing the cover off the ball. Yeah, special, special kid. And, uh, you know, he started off really well for us this year. Um, And he had a slight mechanical flaw in his swing, uh, you know, but he was getting away with it. And then you have to give Coach Wiersbicki credit, our hitting coach, him and Vance, and really Vance the most credit because he made the change about five, six weeks ago, you know, getting rid of that tilt and trying to be more direct to the ball. He's so strong and he's so fast. I've told a lot of people, you know, if he cuts back on those strikeouts, this kid could steal 50 bases. So we're lucky to have Vance. Um, He comes from a great family. His dad played at UNC. He had a chance to sign professionally, and he has been such a different maker for us, you know, golly, 20-plus home runs and 20-plus stolen bases. You don't see that much anymore in college baseball. Scott, I, I want to get back to the bigger picture here for this league a little bit. Obviously, you guys won the championship. You know how good this league has been. You've been in the league, good heavens, 20-odd years now. You obviously, as a head coach, as a pitching coach, whatever, you know how good this league is and how deep this league is. Uh, so I want to I sprinkle some big picture in here. Uh, Gabby Sanchez was with us an hour ago. He thinks there's a chance for 11. Do you think the league deserves 11? I mean, obviously only four schools are going to host, but does the ACC have the kind of resume you think that gets 11 teams in the tournament today at noon? I 100% uh, yes to that question because it's the deepest we've ever been. Um, Everybody can beat everybody. I think every team in our league, even the two teams that then made the ACC tournament, you know, on any given weekend can beat you and on any given weekend could probably win a regional. So, um, you know, I thought we we had the best league top to bottom uh, this year. I really did. Uh, You know, you look at a team like Pitt so close to playing in the championship game and they're older and they're tough. And, uh, you know, I thought Mm -hmm. Clemson was really good. So I'm hoping and crossing my fingers for those teams because it it, represents Really, I agree with Gabby. I think we could possibly get 11 teams in. It may be hard, but I'm hoping. Scott, why do you think that the league is so deep right now? Because I feel like, you know, for years, the SEC has been the cream of the crop. Now, our league is probably going to have more teams in the dance. Same number of hosts. Should have, should have had more. Should have had five with Notre Dame taking one of the SEC spots. But why do you think the ACC is in such a good place right now? Um, You know, I think I think the coaches are working really hard recruiting. And then I think, you know, now with the transfer portal, it allows you to have an older team. Um, You know, different schools recruit different ways, uh, but it does allow you to fill some spots and some gaps. 
with some older kids um, that have played a couple college seasons, and that makes a world of difference. If you look at a lineup card, you know, and you have seven true freshmen out there, you know, you're gonna it's, it's going to be a battle and it's going to be up and down. But you know, Notre Dame's a great example. You look at their lineup, and I mean, that is senior, 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 senior grad transfer, and, and those guys are older, they're stronger, and they're more experienced. You know, there's the other thing too, and you mentioned the experience level. You've got one. NC State, ironically, has the other. We got some really good rookies in this league, too. I mean, you saw Tommy White go oppo in the tournament. I mean, Vance Honeycutt's been on fire. He's the tournament MVP as a freshman. I mean, you can have all these older guys, and I think there's some – I mean, Danny Ceretti's played, what, for 10 years for you? It just feels like <laughs> Danny Ceretti's been there a million years. Um, I mean, but the impact of the young players, too. Now – White was a little more pronounced right off the top. Honeycutt's had an unbelievable May. But young guys in this league have also grabbed some of the spotlight too, haven't they? Yeah, 100%. And in North Carolina, you know, we, we have to continue to do that. You know, we talk to our coaches all the time. We have to get the best high school players and start in our state, and, we, and they have to get better and they have to develop. But what you're hoping for is, you know, you have, you know, two, three, max, maybe four, and then you got some guys that have been through it that can help those through it. But you have to have – we wouldn't be where we are right now without having a dynamic player like Vance Honeycutt. And, uh, you know, a guy like Danny Soretti, he seems like he's ultra, ultra old, but this is his true fourth year where he missed – you know, he missed a complete year with COVID. Um, but a lot of teams right. have those fifth and sixth year guys. But that's going to start going away because the COVID effect will – will eventually, you know, calm down and guys won't have that extra year. You might have a couple grads, but you'll have true four-year players, I believe. And I think the major league draft is, has made a difference, too, because the, the rounds are, are lower um, and you're going to have more mm-hmm. kids showing up on campus. Uh, Scott, I got a personal question. Um, I was in Chatham with the Anglers on Cape Cod in 2017. We got a chance oh, wow. to interview Mike Fox when he was up at Veterans Field. He came up to the booth. Uh, number one, will you send some guys to Chatham this summer, hopefully after a deep run through the NCAA tournament? And number two, if you're going to be up on the Cape, will you join the broadcasters on the radio uh, in the booth at Veterans Field? <laughs> oh, yes, yes, 100%. I was already looking at my calendar. Um, I'm going to try. I'll, I'm not going to try. We'll definitely come to the Cape because we have a number of guys, and we have, I think, four in Chatham. Um, we have a lot of other guys that will be up there, and it's a place that I love going, love watching. There's nothing better than watching a game on the Cape. I'm hoping you know, to get my family up there with me. Um, at least my wife can come with me, hopefully. It's a, it's a beautiful place, too, in the summer. Don't love going up there when it's cold, but, um, yeah, we'll definitely do that interview for sure. We've had some great, great players in Chatham, and, and what, what great history that, that place has for sure. Do you think when you go up there that you'll have to have somebody translate the Sanford for them? May, maybe. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we'll go to Chatham Squire. It's the Chatham Squire is my favorite place, or however you say it. Obviously, my accent, you know, they may not understand anything I'm saying up there, but I enjoy being up there, that's for sure. Uh, Scott, when you right, go up here's there. The getaway if, yeah. if you're wearing the Carolina blue, people will ask you about Andrew Miller. You remember when Andrew oh. Miller struck out 12 guys in the Fog game? <laughs> yeah. yeah. What a great Tar Heel man. And a great big leaguer. Just retired, and uh, he's very involved still with our program. Yeah, that's cool stuff. We've had some players in Chatham, man. 
Yes, you have. Hey, here's the here's the real question. Uh, given uh, given the fact Fox's name went on the facade, now I know he gets uh, I know he gets a free seat. Now I know he doesn't have to worry about being on the ticket list this weekend. Um, <laughs> how many former players do you think you'll have? You'll have a. I mean, I know you're hosting, and hosting comes with a lot of things to it. But your place has become a bit of a pit for teams too. Now, I mean, you like being at home. You guys. You guys got some stuff rolling at the Bosch this year a little bit and flair for the dramatic as well. Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, sometimes you do have to go on the road and and get it done. That's important. But if you can work hard and have a chance to host a regional, you like your chances even better. Um, we always talk about playing at the Bosch. Playing at home needs to mean something, and it does. And so excited for our players. I mean, they, they deserve this and also extremely excited – for our fans and uh yeah we were giving coach fox a hard time you know yesterday he came to the game and we said well you probably need to buy a ticket i think it's sold out <laughs> <laughs> yeah we, we, yeah. Found, hey, we found him a ticket though we get we found him a ticket on our pass list oh that's big of you i mean you guys i knew you'd take care of him i mean the man's name's on the facade scott and you probably want to make sure he's on you know whatever Whatever kind of comp list you got there for the event, you always probably want to take care of him, don't you? Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, having it was a really neat moment too yesterday when we went up for the press conference and he was up there and uh, you know I wouldn't be sitting in this chair. It's still you know I still have a hard time sometimes. I think I'm dreaming when I'm sitting. I still call it his office where I'm sitting right now um, because it was his office and it still is his office to me. But to have the opportunity and. To be sitting in this chair, you know, is is very humbling, and Coach gave it to me, so I'm I'm always going to be extra grateful to him for that. Well, congratulations on the championship. We look forward to finding out who's going to join you in Chapel Hill uh, coming up at noon today on ESPN two. Thanks for the time. Thank you guys for having me. Go Hills. All right, Scott Forbes, head baseball coach at Carolina, between Chatham. Chatham on the on the Cape in the summer. See, Drew, that's where I do. I, I got some envy there on you on that one. Now, I'd love to be able to do a summer <laughs> up there sometime. That would be cool. Doing that deal, holy cow! It's it's the best. Wes, you missed it on last Monday's show. I was wearing a Chatham Squire quarter zip, and uh, some some nice gentleman tweeted at me repping my favorite place on Cape Cod, the Chatham Squire. It is the best. If you go to the Chatham yeah. Squire, get some lobster bisque. Some lobster bisque. Ooh. That's how you order it. Lobster bisque. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right, sit tight. Um, how many facilities have a bank name tied to it? <laughs> we, we, we examined this in hour one, and you, the fine discerning viewer slash listener of the Packer and Durham program, have responded. We will cover that and more along with uh, a, a word about tomorrow's show and the NCAA Men's Golf Championship Heads to the match play out in Arizona. We will talk about that and more when we continue. Final turn on Packer and Durham Monday next. The Packer and Durham Podcast. This is the Packer and Durham Podcast. All right, welcome back. Packer and Durham final segment. Uh, We're going to get to your social media on this truest thing in just a moment. Uh, quick update from out at uh, out in Arizona at uh, at Greyhawk. 
the cut has been made in stroke play for the NCAA Men's Golf Championship, and only two ACC teams have made the cut. North Carolina is fourth at nine over par going into today. Uh, Georgia Tech had to get Bartley Forrester to make a 17-foot birdie on the last hole to make the cut. They're at 37 over with Ole Miss, one shot behind Oregon. Now, the top eight are going to go to match play. Georgia Tech is 11 off of the lead, or Arkansas is eight at 26 under par. So they're 11 back of Arkansas. That's not a massive number to overcome. Now, Carolina's in a pretty good spot. Carolina is nine over and fourth. And, you know, you can tell they are 17 up on the cut line. So Carolina should feel pretty good about getting to match play. The question is, can Georgia Tech give the ACC two teams in match play? That'll be determined today out at Greyhawk, and then match play starts tomorrow. Championships go from there in the match play format. So good luck to uh, good luck to Georgia Tech and North Carolina today in the final day of stroke play at the NCAA Men's Golf Championship out in Arizona. Now, David Teal, to follow up on what we were talking about earlier about national championships, with the ACC's championship season contested, here are the conference titles by schools for the year. Well, look at there. Virginia, NC State, and Notre Dame win four each. Virginia Tech, Carolina, Florida State win three. Wake Forest and Duke, two. Miami, Pitt, and Louisville, one. How about that? So three, six, eight schools win nine. Nine total. Sorry. Yeah, Syracuse uh, didn't make the cut. I just want to jump in there, Wes, and say Syracuse, not this year, but – out of the 11 schools that won ACC titles, Syracuse isn't one of them. They'll be back in the next academic year. <laughs> <laughs> is that where you're just pushing your alumni dollars to the front of the line there, are you? Is that what you're doing, just pushing your alumni money? <laughs> we're coming. We're on the approach. We're coming in. Is that what you're going with? Is that how we're doing that? Uh-huh. Yeah. Next Future year. is bright. Okay. <laughs> That's it. Playing for 23. All right. Um Ariel Bynum is one of a handful of people who chimed in to Drew Carter wanting to know how many sports facilities Truist Bank has got the naming rights to. Ariel says, you missed one. North Carolina A&T, who's now getting ready to be a member, by the way, of the Colonial Athletic Association, has Truist Stadium in Greensboro. So let's start checking them off here, Carter. <laughs> Add another oh, wait. one. His wife, wait, <laughs> his wife found another one. Northern Kentucky's basketball arena, which used to be BB&T Arena, is now Truist Arena. It's just, it's ridiculous. So now for every ACC or for every NCAA championship that an ACC school has won this academic year, seven, there is a different sporting venue named after Truist, which again, I think is a name born out of a typo. Someone tried to type trust and accidentally threw in an erroneous I. Truist Park, the Atlanta Braves. Truist Stadium, Winston-Salem Dash. Also in Winston-Salem, Truist Field, Wake Forest Football. Truist Field, Charlotte Knights, an ACC baseball tournament. Truist Point, High Point Rockers of the Atlantic League. And now the two that 
our friend Mr. Bynum chimed in with. So I count seven sporting venues in a litany of sports named after Truist. What you wouldn't give, though, to have Packer's basement with a corporate tag on it by the time he comes back next week. I think we should just tell him when he comes back from Italy, hey, by the way, your house is now named the Truest House or the Truest Basement, and you have to do that. You have to say it. <laughs> hey, while you were gone, Pac, we sold the naming rights to your house. Yeah. Hey, Pac, when you went to Europe, Truest bought the naming rights to the basement. So it's now the Truest Basement. Or maybe Chester and Fuller have become the Truest Dogs. That would be excellent. <laughs> you better go rub... Rub another pig's nose and see if you get good luck and you can reclaim the house. <laughs> All right. Drew will be back tomorrow. Uh, John Shire, Duke's basketball coach, will also be here with us tomorrow. Look forward to catching up with Coach Shire, who's had a pretty good offseason so far. Thanks to Gabby Sanchez and to Scott Forbes. Congratulations to Carolina on a couple of national titles. Casey O'Brien, Drew Brooks produce. Alex, great job directing. We'll see you in the morning. Packer and Durham at 7 a.m. on ACC. Tune into Packer and Durham weekday mornings from 7 to 10 Eastern for the best conversations about everything from the ACC. Find it on the ACC Network, Sirius XM Channel 371, and streaming on the ESPN app.